On a Saturday evening in mid-July 1920, three women raced toward Nashville's Union Station on steam-powered trains. They each traveled alone, carrying a small suitcase, a handbag, a folder stuffed with documents. They were unremarkable in appearance, dressed in demure cotton dresses and summer hats. Their fellow passengers could hardly imagine the dramatic purpose they shared. They had all been summoned to command forces in what would prove to be one of the pivotal political battles in American history. This is the story of that battle, the furious campaign to secure the final state needed to ratify the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, giving women the most fundamental right of democracy, the vote. Carrie Catt, the president of the National American Women's Suffrage Association, the preeminent suffrage organization in the nation, was on a southbound train from New York City. Josephine Pearson, president of the Tennessee State Association opposed to women's suffrage, traveled north from her family home in the Cumberland Mountains of Tennessee. Sue White, a young activist for the National Women's Party, the militant wing of the suffrage movement, came fresh from a protest in the Midwest. They converged on Nashville, for the explosive climax of American women's seven-decade struggle for equal citizenship. And there was much at stake. 36 state approvals were required for ratification, and 35 were in hand. If the Tennessee legislature ratified the 19th Amendment, woman's suffrage would become the law of the land, and 27 million women would be able to vote just in time for the fall presidential elections. If the legislature rejected it, the amendment might never be enacted. It all came down to Tennessee. There were powerful forces opposing federal woman's suffrage as it approached the legal finish line. Political, corporate, and ideological adversaries intent upon stopping the 19th Amendment. Some of the most vociferous foes of enfranchisement were the anti-suffragists, the antis, such as Josephine Pearson, who feared that women's entrance into the polling booth would hasten the nation's moral collapse. The suffragists, the suffs, had reason to worry, as the amendment had already been rejected by nearly all the southern states for the same blatantly racist reasons as put forth by Tennessee. If women got the vote, black women would also be entitled to the ballot. The presidential candidates were playing their own games, using women's suffrage as a pawn, this was the moment of reckoning, and both sides were willing to use every possible weapon to prevail. Over the course of the next six weeks, the three campaign commanders were joined by more than a thousand women and men from around the state and across the country. Suffs, antis, governors and senators, political operatives, corporate lobbyists, and beleaguered legislators, all pouring into Nashville to enter the fray. The conflict quickly devolved into a vicious face-off, brimming with dirty tricks and cutting betrayals, sexist rancor, racial bigotry, booze, and the Bible, with the ghosts of the Civil War hovering over the proceedings and jitters lingering from the Great War amplifying the tension. The outcome remained in doubt until the very last moment. The intensity of this battle in Nashville, 
the strength and nature of the suffrage opposition, led by women, the racial dimensions of the conflict and the uncertainty of the outcome may seem surprising to us now, even shocking. It's too easy to imagine that the enfranchisement of American women simply arrived, like some evolutionary imperative, a natural step in the gradual march of progress, or as a gift eventually bestowed by wise men on their grateful wives, daughters, and sisters. The women asked politely, staged a few picturesque marches, hoisted a few picket signs, and without much drama, votes for women was achieved. That's not how it happened. 